Welcome to Album Divers. This is a podcast created by two music lovers who still remember listening to albums from start to finish the way the artists intended. We give history, track-by-track analysis, and delve into the music lyrics of some of the best albums of the past and today. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Welcome to Album Divers. I'm Shane. And I'm Trevor. On this podcast, we take turns choosing albums to discuss and review. We alternate between one album released this calendar year and one that's been around a while. All right, and it's your pick, Shane, this time. We're on our 2021 pick. What are we discussing today? I chose Lana Del Rey's latest release, Chemtrails Over the Country Club. Awesome. I'm glad you picked this album. Obviously, Lana Del Rey is a name that most people are going to know, of course. But this is my entry point really to listening to an album start to finish for her. And in listening and reading, this one does detour a little bit from maybe her usual sound. So it was fun to kind of have this as our entry point to, or at least my entry point to Lana Del Rey. Yeah, like you, I hadn't gone through an entire album start to finish until this one. But I knew a lot of her songs, mostly the popular ones and a few that weren't quite as popular that I stumbled upon over the years. I knew of her sound and presentation as an artist overall, but I didn't quite know the extent of all the genres that she's covered and the wide array of talent uh, that she displays. Like you said, this album is a little different than some of her previous work, but there's also enough that it sounds like authentic Lana. You know, it's, it's recognizable. But she did take this one to the next level, and a lot of critics are saying maybe this is her best work to date. Awesome. Well, I know you dug a little bit more into her history than I did leading up to this album. Why don't you give me and our listeners a little background on Lana Del Rey? Yeah, definitely. She's got a pretty interesting backstory, how she got into music and some of her influences. So without further ado, let's briefly get into that. Lana Del Rey was born Elizabeth Woolridge Grant in 19. 19- 85. She was raised in upstate New York, began first singing in her elementary years as part of the church choir where she was the cantor. She attended high school where her mother was a teacher for about a year, but when she was 15, her parents sensed that she was starting to maybe develop a little bit of a a drinking problem and having some behavior issues, so they decided to send her to boarding school for a little more structure. After finishing boarding school, she spent a year living on Long Island with her aunt and uncle, working as a waitress. While she was there, her uncle taught her how to play basic chords on the guitar, and she quickly realized that, quote, she could probably write a million songs with those six chords. With these six chords, and I'm sure a few others, she began writing songs and performing in nightclubs around New York City, where she became popular in the underground music scene under various stage names, including... Sparkle Jump Rope Queen, Lizzie Grant and the Phenomena, and May Jailer. 
In the fall of 2004, at age 19, she enrolled at Fordham University in the Bronx, where she majored in philosophy with an emphasis on metaphysics. She has been cited as giving the reason that she chose those fields as that they helped bridge the gap between God and science, and that, quote, she was interested in God and how technology could bring us closer to finding out where we came from and why. While in college, she continued to pursue making music, and in 2005, she registered her first seven-track extended play titled Rock Me Stable, which stands as her first published work. She began performing, meeting producers, releasing more music, and trying to learn the music scene, but she didn't lose sight of her education. In 2008, Delray graduated from Fordham with a Bachelor of Arts degree in philosophy. She then went on to release her first self-titled album under the name Lana Del Rey in 2008. Her music can best be described as stylized and cinematic in quality with explorations of sadness, tragic romance, glamour, and melancholy. It covers various genres including alternative pop, rock, dream pop, indie, and psychedelic rock, and even touches on elements of hip-hop, lo-fi, and trap. She often makes references to pop culture, especially 1950s and 1960s Americana. She cites major influences as Frank Sinatra and Amy Winehouse, along with a wide array of pop, jazz, and blues performers of the mid-20th century, including Nina Simone, Billie Holiday, Miles Davis, Bobby Vinton, and The Crystals. She has also been quoted as saying, I really just like the masters of every genre. And in this interview, she specifically named Nirvana, Bob Dylan, and Elvis Presley. She's also been influenced by several rock and pop musicians, including Bruce Springsteen, Britney Spears, Lou Reed, The Eagles, Leonard Cohen, Eminem, and Joan Baez. So quite a variety of artists that have inspired her over the years, and that probably explains why her music is fairly diverse. Her breakthrough came in 2011 with the viral success of her debut singles, Video Games and Blue Jeans, which she released on YouTube. Yet another example of someone who maybe would not have been fully discovered or discovered as soon as she did without modern day avenues of social media, as we've discussed in the past. Oh yeah, that's interesting. She performed two songs from the album on Saturday Night Live, on January 14th, 2012. And initially she received a negative response from various critics and the general public who deemed the performance uneven and vocally shaky. She had earlier defended her spot on the program saying, I'm a good musician. I have been singing for a long time and I think that SNL creator Lorne Michaels knows that. It's not a fluke decision. And I remember first discovering her as an artist on the David Letterman show, which was a performance shortly after this SNL gig that she had that got mixed reviews. And I think she kind of used that as as fuel uh, to, to light the fire and, and come out and do a really good performance on David Letterman because I was, I was blown away the first time I heard about her and quickly doing a Google search, some research, and all the, the SNL criticism came up. And I'm thinking, well, what was that all about? And I went back and listened to that, and you could tell that maybe she was a little shaky, a little nervous, or, or possibly simply not not trying to overdo it, which is kind of part of who she is. I'm going to have to go back and listen to 
those in succession. And I think I've listened to both. I didn't know about the background criticism that you just mentioned. So I always just think everybody sounds bad on SNL. Like some of my favorite, <laughs> favorite artists come on there and I'm excited to watch them. And just, I'm always walking away going, I've seen them in concert. They sound way better than that. So I don't know what the deal is with SNL. Yeah. Maybe it's just the mindset we're in when we're watching something like SNL. That's just kind of goofy, silly stuff. And then we're like, how can we take this singing seriously? <laughs> Right they do kind of like context. shoehorn something really artistic in between like, you know, Will Ferrell dancing with his shirt off or something like that. It's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of hard to do the yeah <laughs> the head twist to, exactly. from one to the other sometimes. Right. Do you recall when you first discovered Lana? You know, Lana is somebody that just in pop culture you you know. And I know some of her songs, but honestly, I, I don't remember a time where I really sat down and listened to Lana Del Rey. I knew I should. I, I think I tend to gravitate away from things that are put in the pop genre just because there's so much that I tend to like that isn't. But I sort of knew that she transcended it. And for whatever reason, I just didn't give it the time of day. If somebody asked, do you like Lana Del Rey? I knew it was appropriate, quote unquote, to say, yes, I, I like Lana Del Rey. But I really hadn't sat there and listened start to finish. So I can't say I was surprised that I liked it. From what I had heard and read, I figured I probably would. But I liked this album more than I thought I would have even. Yeah, I can, I can relate, especially in, in general, to knowing pop artists and not knowing when you first discovered them. They just kind of find their way into pop culture. And if you're paying attention and in tune with the media and what other people are talking about, you, you just kind of know these people exist. Like you were saying, if somebody were to ask me if I liked her, I'd probably just routinely say, oh, yeah, I, I do. She, she's good. But I couldn't confidently say I like her or liked her as much as I can now, having gone through an album and, and studied her backstory and understand what kind of who she is, how she became to be an artist. So Yeah, somebody like that, it's almost just like they've become woven into the fabric of society. You don't really remember where you first heard them. Exactly. But you know, who doesn't know who Lana Del Rey is at this point exactly? Well, let's get back into finishing up the history here. So although she had a self-titled debut studio album prior, her first major label debut album was titled Born to Die, and it was released on January 31st, 2012. It eventually became an international success with hit songs, Summertime Sadness, Blue Jeans, and the album title track Born to Die. The album reached number one in 11 countries, although... Critics were still divided uh, on the content. There was mixed reviews. Some thought it was outstanding. Obviously, it reached number one in a number of countries, but others were still critical for whatever reason. And I wonder, too, I mean, we talked about this a little bit when we talked about Kate Bush, but I, I wonder when you have a attractive young female pop artist, if the critics chiming in prior to her having much of a back catalog have already pigeonholed her into a particular format. And it's harder to climb out of that than if she fit the part or looked the part of somebody that was a, quote, artist. I think it's a little bit of an uphill battle, especially for women mm -hmm. coming into that position. I was thinking that, too, especially being labeled a pop artist early on. There's an image or expectation, or at least there was for a long time. I think we're moving past that. There's not that expectation that they have to look a certain way. Or, or sound a certain way, which is kind of cool. So in a way, maybe Lana was slightly before that time and, and not quite received as well, but also groundbreaking and maybe paved the way for some others who said, hey, you know, we don't have to do it the way people want us to do it. 
that wall still exists, but it gets broken down a little bit further every time somebody like a Kate Bush or like Alana, you know, pushes through a little bit more. So definitely a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in 2013, she released the song Young and Beautiful as the lead single for the romantic drama film, The Great Gatsby, which got her some attention and a little bit more into the pop culture as well. She then had follow-up albums, including Ultraviolence in 2014, Honeymoon in 2015, and Lust for Life in 2017. Lust for Life was nominated for a Grammy. I, I can't remember if it was for Album of the Year or maybe New Album or something along those lines. I remember reading she's had three or four albums that reached number one in the UK, so a really good following there. And at least the one that I mentioned earlier and maybe another one that have reached number one in the U.S., so she's definitely had ongoing success over the years, but her most successful album came in 2019. That was her sixth studio album titled, sorry mom, Norman fucking Rockwell, which received widespread critical acclaim and two Grammy nominations, including album of the year and also song of the year. Then in 2020, she released a spoken word album and poetry collection titled Violet Bent Backwards Over the Grass, which was kind of interesting uh, to throw in there in her collection of musical works. And that brings us to the year 2021 with her latest release, Chemtrails Over the Country Club, which I mentioned earlier has already received high critical acclaim. It's to be determined, but maybe this will become her most successful album to date, which is pretty good considering she recently released the, the sixth album, which was very popular. And it's probably worth mentioning that she has another album coming out as well, possibly this year, um, as she has stated, or, or maybe early next with us being toward the end of the year. But she's supposed to have another album coming out as well. So she's continuing to put out music and evolving as a, a musician so i think that's pretty cool to see her evolution as a, a musician from getting some early criticism to sticking that out and having a great debut album but then a few in there that maybe weren't quite as popular but now 10 years into her career she's putting out music that is potentially going to be considered her best yet so it's co cool to see that she's continued to evolve as a musician and make good music for us. Yeah, I think that's what you want to see, especially with somebody that's got such a back catalog like she does, to know that they're still pushing themselves and finding different corners of expression and ways to create music that don't feel stagnant over the years. And this was a great entry point. I'm really glad I got a chance to listen to this one start to finish. Like I said, I'm excited to talk more about it. I didn't go through all of her albums, but I, I went back and listened to a few of them, at least a handful of songs in succession to get a sense for her previous albums. And although they were fairly good and definitely worth going back and listening to, uh, maybe they appealed more to people who might not like this album as much, if that makes sense. Yeah, I joined a Facebook group for Lana Del Rey fans just to kind of throw a couple questions out in preparation for this album and then also just kind of get a a sense of what a Lana Del Rey fan, longtime Lana Del Rey fan, is like. And, and I noticed that too. A lot of people were talking about this album and maybe not liking it as much as some of her older ones. That said, I can kind of relate as 
somebody that's a diehard fan of a particular group, anytime a new album comes out, it takes a while to have space for that part of them. You almost latch onto an artist and create this image of who they are, and then you can slowly assimilate their new work into that vision of them. And then when a new album comes out, it almost feels like a intruder in your vision of who they are. Yeah, sure. I think there's always going to be that with a band that you loved back in the day and became attached to based on their first few releases, that if that sound deviates at all, you're probably not going to like it as much because you already have them defined in your in your mind who they are to you and what they're supposed to be. But in her case, even more so, I think it, it might have something to do with the, the contrast in music as well and appealing to a different audience. And I, I think for me, this was great that this was the first album that I went through start to finish because I'm guessing if I did that with all seven of the albums that she's released so far, this would probably be my favorite. And I'm glad I chose to pick this to do on the podcast as a new album instead of going back and picking, say, her first one that was really popular because she's an artist that I wanted to highlight on the podcast at some point. And she's popular enough that I easily could have chosen one of those older albums that had the Grammy nominations. I know we've talked about the temptation to pick a new album, but but for an artist that's really popular, you know, it almost feels like we're doing them a disservice by not picking their iconic album. Not that this is a, a, a true apples to apples comparison, but we talked about Bob Dylan's album that he released last year and how it was pretty good, but no way we could pick that because our entry to Bob Dylan has to be Blood on the Tracks. Take your pick. Blood on yeah. the Tracks, Blonde on Blonde. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's yeah. the one that you were thinking we, we would yeah. have to do first, but yeah. And obviously he's a, a special example, somebody that's been around a long time, but anybody who's been putting out music and popular for a decade or more obviously has a catalog that you can choose from. But with her, I was was really drawn to this album. I think with the first single that I heard released before the album, I was I was really intrigued by it and was kind of waiting for that release date and then went through the full album or at least started to listen to it. Typically when I'm when I'm listening and trying to pick an album for the podcast, I you know give it at least three songs or so, give it a chance for that long. And if I'm into it, I keep going. If not, I might move on if I'm trying to find one in a hurry. And this one just kept drawing me in and uh, I made it all the way to the end and was thoroughly entertained and listened to it multiple times on repeat. This album is really good because of the vocal quality and the construction of the music. It's not maybe as catchy. There's not as many pop songs that would be radio hits that would be fun to sing along with or play at a club or at the grocery store over the, over the you know radio or, or any other mainstream avenue where you would just hear songs that appeal to a lot of people. I don't I don't know if there's many tracks on here that would fit, but as a a collection as a a work, it is it's really good overall. It's kind of similar to Taylor Swift's deviation last year from some of her original works and critics will 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 tell you that that was a phenomenal album. And in fact, I think it was given the title of number one album of 2020 by Rolling Stones, I believe. Didn't we talk about that? Could be. She had a couple I want to say, last year. It was kind of similar yeah, to this. If right. Lana yep. ends up releasing her second, it's right. it, that's actually a good comparison. But it was kind of a step outside of her comfort zone in terms of the music that she had released, uh, Taylor Swift, that is, yeah. up into the the album last year, and probably the same thing. Some of her original fans wouldn't like it quite as much if if they really became a fan of her because of her earlier works. 
and I think it's probably just a, a taste in music. You know, some of the earlier works, when either of these artists were younger, I would almost attribute to kind of like a, a good mixed drink that everybody is going to enjoy. But the newest albums, the latest from them, are more like a fine wine or, or a good whiskey that you really have to, you have to understand them or, or want uh, a, a pure form of that as a as an analogy for a music listener who really dives deep into the the sound and and the lyrics and and everything that goes into an album construction to really appreciate it fully and it maybe not something that everybody is going to like that critics would probably rate higher kind of interesting how that works with a lot of different things in life you know whether it be wine whiskey art literature music a lot of times the experts or the people who really study those spaces will have at the top of their list something that the average person maybe wouldn't appreciate as much. And I kind yeah. of feel maybe that's the case with, with me gravitating toward this album over some of her other works. Well, should we get into the track by track? Yeah, let's do it. It kicks off with a great opening song. Track one is titled White Dress. dress like i mentioned this was really my first time sitting down listening to lana del rey with any amount of intention not only does this album maybe stand out a little bit from her other work this song even within the context of this album stands out a little bit with the affect on her voice and so i had to kind of recall back songs like summertime sadness or something to go wait a second is this the same artist that i thought it was because a very unique presentation on this song, which I think fits the lyrics, but really drew me in right away to this song. Yeah, and speaking of being drawn in, that piano to open was very drawing in, for lack of a, a better word. It kind of set the tone for the album and got you to pay attention. That was done by producer of this album, Jack Antonoff, uh, who is a member of the band Fun. Did you know that? Oh, you know, I didn't know he was a m member of the band Fun, ac actually. I know he's done a lot of production for other artists, too. And I think he's worked with Lana in the past, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think so as well. They met early on in her career, and they've stuck together uh, through some of her projects. I think he is kind of a secret weapon for her on this album. Or Again, I'll have to listen back for past ones and see where he might have done some work with her before but a lot of those touches i think really bring out the feeling in these songs a lot of this album has piano and i'm not sure if he's the one playing most of it or if lana plays a little bit as well but throughout the entire album the piano shines and it's a, a great element to the music yeah you mentioned that one of the influences that she has is that 50 60s americana mm-hmm 
really did feel like painted that picture throughout this album, especially. And then, you know, you mentioned the prior album, Norman fucking Rockwell, which of <laughs> course is fits that time period. I think she's got some right. nostalgia for a time period that she didn't herself live through. It feels like she's maybe got a bit of an old soul. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I read uh, a quote from her. Uh, she said, you know, I wasn't born yet, but I feel like I lived through the fifties or okay. something like yeah. that, that she's just really connected to that time period for some reason. And also to the sixties and seventies, I, I read another interesting fact on her is that one of the reasons she got into music is because she envisioned herself in a 60s, 70s music culture with a bunch of people collaborating, kind of a la Laurel Canyon type atmosphere that that she saw herself in that image and music she thought was a way that she could get into that group, into that scene and recreate that in her life. But But she came to realize that the the music industry is a lot different nowadays and she couldn't quite obtain that vision that initially got her intrigued by becoming yeah. a, a performer and a musician. Yeah, and we'll touch on it when we get into some other songs that make mention of some artists of that era. Mm-hmm. Of course, a song that's even written by an artist of that era that we'll yeah, talk about at the definitely. end. But yeah, I always wonder what would have be like with certain artists and she would be an interesting one if you just threw them in that time period and just kind of shook them up like in a box and figured mm-hmm. out who ended up collaborating with who and right. what work would have been created if she existed in a different time period. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting to think about things like that. Yeah. I think she's unique enough and her voice spans generations that she would probably be popular in any era. I mean, granted the lyrics would be different. She'd be singing about different stuff, but I think as a musician, you know, she has the talent to appeal to any generation of, of people. And this song touches on nostalgia, you know, not only the theme and sound of the song and the album drawing to past decades, but this song has nostalgia of her own personal past, talking about a time when she's 19 and times are simpler and she's just waiting tables. Yeah, I really like the opening line in this song. Sun stare, don't care with my head in my hands, thinking of a simpler time. You can picture somebody sitting maybe with their elbows on their knees in their lap, head on their hands, and just reflecting on the past. So the backstory uh, to this song, and possibly what she's thinking about here, is that before she went to college in New York, she took a gap year, as we mentioned earlier, and she worked as a waitress on Long Island. And uh, that's where her uncle taught her to play guitar uh, when she was living with him and her aunt at the time. There's another song, it's an unreleased track, titled Every Man Gets His Wish. And there's a line in that song that says, he found me waitressing at Ruby Tuesdays. So I, I wonder if that's referring to a, a certain person, maybe the, the, the producer uh, of some of her earlier works. I'm not sure if that was Jack Antonoff or somebody else, but there's actually a personal connection to her being a waitress and being discovered. I'm not sure about the, the men in music business conference if that's referring to a specific conference she was at or if that's more a metaphor to talk about producers and 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 people who have that power in the music industry being primarily men and and seeking out people like her at the time but kind of interesting backstory and definitely personal ties to the song down at the men in music business conference down in orlando i was 
That line was really interesting, that men in music business conference. Mm -hmm. It's because she's really forcing those syllables into yeah, a small yeah, space. Yeah, yeah. I think I read somewhere that she kind of did it as a joke or, or they were messing around in the studio. And mm -hmm. then that ended up be the thing that really stood out. And that's one of the things that stood out the most to me about this song was just the uniqueness of trying to force those syllables in. I don't remember if I read it somewhere on somebody's interpretation but they were kind of thinking of that as analogous to what it's like to try to, as a woman, shoehorn yourself into the music business and try to get yourself heard in the men in music business conference. Like, you know, they're the ones that make the decision about who's in and who's out. And so mm -hmm. trying to trying to just like physically just push yourself in, whether wearing a white dress or, or doing something to make yourself stand out in other ways as part of that, or just, just literally pushing those words through as an analogist to trying to, trying to become heard. Yeah, whether it's a, a white dress or a, a tight dress as she changes the lyrics later on in the song mm -hmm. both potentially drawing an, an attention to her or trying to be seen or wanting to be noticed in the music industry but also kind of making a point that you'll be seen physically as well or that people recognize you maybe because of your your beauty and the fact that you can sing but that how those two are kind of intertwined or maybe there's a, a mismatch between what the artist wants to be seen for and what people who have the ability to get them into the music world might see them for the image prioritize a little bit too much over the music or the sound and and making a point of that but nonetheless feeling empowered by the fact that she's seen it makes her feel important you know she says in the song i only mentioned it because it was such a scene and i felt seen and then that that just kind of reflecting in her mind like oh how nice it was to be noticed by somebody and recognized and this was around the time that was it her uncle that taught her just a few chords that mm -hmm. then she six yeah yeah that had taught her about six chords that she felt like she could write anything and i thought of that with the lines of it made me feel like a god just feeling like she's been given the gift of music and if that was somewhere innately within her and now she's got a way to express it just feeling like you almost have a superpower that right. you didn't know you had that line really stood out to me too when she repeats that especially at the end where she gets a little bit even more breathy with it made me feel like a god and her voice is almost cracking there really showcases how the way you say something communicates maybe even more than the words themselves. Because initially when she's saying it, it's almost more of an excited feeling of it made me feel like a god, it was amazing. And then it's almost more like she's recollecting like, man, I can't believe how good that made me feel. Mm -hmm. And almost like missing it, a nostalgia for feeling so invincible. Yeah, but there's also a bit of contrast in, in what she's reflecting on that, you know, it felt great, but she's also questioning why it felt great and maybe it shouldn't have. Maybe she was better off before she got that fame. You know, maybe maybe there were advantages 
to who she was before she was seen. And so that's kind of that reflection. I think you said that better than I did there. And I think that's kind of what I was thinking. This album as a whole has a lot of it. The, one of the themes I wrote down is escapism. Mm-hmm. And in some songs coming up here, it's quite literally her leaving something. This one just feels like she's escaping into a memory. It feels like she's singing this song to herself. I really like the the music midway or toward the end of the song where you almost hear the volume increasing a little bit and the drums come through a bit more. It starts to feel more powerful. Like the song starts off sounding kind of innocent, soft and quiet, maybe the, the perception of the 19-year-old, but then the song builds and and feels stronger toward the end and maybe that's the person whatever age they are reflecting on the past and tapping into that maturity or 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 better sense of understanding and that uh there's there's more weight to it by the end of the song agreed that's the part where she starts saying made me feel like a god a little bit different that i was referencing before Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah yeah i agree the color white choosing a white dress is probably significant because that often symbolizes a sense of purity or innocence. You know, we think of like white robes and garments being worn to convey a sense of spiritual purity and the idea that that correlates with being young and, and, and innocent and inexperienced in the the music world and, and life in general and just not kind of understanding how all that stuff works being wrapped up into this song. Yeah, youth, Lack of maturity that comes with yeah, it. Yeah, the youth exactly. and all that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Did you watch a music video for this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was really cool, too, because you see somebody roller skating, Mm -hmm. and you don't see their face, but it looks like it could be like a younger Lana. And then when they show the present-day Lana, I forget what she's doing. I think she's maybe like driving a nicer car or doing something that's a little bit more high society like she might be able to do now with her fame. But it's 2020 or, you know, 2021 unfortunately still applies she had a mask on so mm-hmm. i don't know i thought maybe a little bit of symbolism both the innocence and freedom of youth and how she felt so powerful and godlike with you know this part of her budding career mm-hmm. comparing to now when she actually has all those things but both with the restraints of the music industry as a whole and then just of course what we're all going through with 2020 she's yeah she's driving a nicer car but she's Wearing a mask instead of right. a white dress, instead of <laughs> instead of roller skating freely down the down the road. Yeah, I just found that interesting too. I think we t- were texting about this, but there's like a. To me, it sounded like a bottle cap or something dropping in the background. Oh, around right. Thirty two, which was super interesting. Yeah, I, I would suspect maybe that was like a mistake or something in the studio that they just left in there. I don't know if there was a reason for it, but I guess I could imagine that it really depicts the kind of stripped down elements of this album where it really is just kind of her with a piano and whatever else is going on in the room is is fair game. They're not going to try to overly edit it out, but that was an interesting thing to leave in, I thought. I think there might be something to it or I want to I want to think that there is significance yeah. to it that we just can't figure out that that sound is actually something that ties into the the lyrics or the time or something about being a waitress maybe I mean, I know it's not the sound of plates dropping, but dropping something and just feeling like, you know, you don't have security on everything possibly, but I'm not sure what the object could be that would make sense for that idea. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe now that you say that, maybe it's like 
just showing despite the fact that she felt like she was totally in control and free i mean the reality is she's still 19 and a waitress and not famous mm-hmm. and maybe that was like you know present day alana just kind of going like you know i'm just going to leave this little tidbit of you're not fully in control and the sound the sound of that whatever it is almost almost sounds like and makes me picture somebody in a in a huge room uh yeah it's maybe very like echoey and spacious definitely. Yeah, yeah but by themselves almost there's, uh-huh. there's yep. no other sound everything else is quiet yep almost like hearing a, a pin drop and just that sense of maybe somebody young that's as a metaphor wandering through this this big building of of life with all these hallways and they find themselves in this room where it's dark and there's nobody else around and they're kind of like, oh my gosh, what, what's going on here to the point that they would hear something, something subtle like that would drop and make this echoing sound and be like, oh my gosh, you know, like what's, what's going on here? I guess I don't understand things quite as much. Maybe I'm just reading into it, but there's got to be something there. <laughs> I always find things like that interesting because you can so easily, especially nowadays, edit or remove stuff. Mm-hmm. So either it was intentional from the get-go, which I'm going to bet it wasn't. Or I think it was. It I think was, we should email Lana. So I'm thinking it was intentional to leave it in, but not intentional to put it in. That would be my guess. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but is there totally significance? I mean, did they leave it in just for the sound effect? Or did they say, hey, this actually makes sense with the song and we're going to leave it because there's significance to it that we didn't even know about that it just kind of it made its way into the song so it should be there now i think they left it in just to fuck with people like you and me they're (laughs) gonna make a podcast like this i think you're probably right nerds are gonna talk about this for like an hour let's leave it in right we got anything else on this song before we you know just just really quickly lastly because there's some other mentions of artists as we progress to put it in the time period of when mm, she was mm. 19, this would be would have been 2005 when she was 19 as a 35-year-old now. And she mentions, listen to White Stripes when yeah, they're white right. hot, listen to yep. Kings of Leon to the beat. You know, those are things that if you go back into 2005, the early aughts of music, those bands were white hot. So right. just imagining and remembering maybe where what was influencing her and what was on her mm-hmm. CD player. Maybe iPod at the time. <laughs> right, yeah. Listen to white stripes when they were white hot. Listening to rock. Well, I think this was a great opening track. It really drew me in as a listener. It wasn't the first song I heard from this album because a track we'll talk about later was, was released before the album was released. But as I mentioned, I was anticipating this album because of that song that I had heard and was really looking forward to listening to it. And when it came out, this I thought was a perfect opening track. It really drew me in to the album. And I think it sets the stage for the rest of the album with the references to her early days as a a musician, as a 19 year old, being a waitress, exploring music, being discovered and kind of getting thrown into the music scene at a really early age before maybe she had the maturity to process everything that was happening. And that theme comes up in a lot of other songs that we'll talk about as well. So if you're listening to this podcast right now, hopefully you're as intrigued to dive further into this album as I was when I first heard this song, because you know it's really, it's really a good one. And this was strategically placed well as the opening track. Well, should we go on to track two? Yeah, let's do it. 
We're on the title track now. This is Chemtrails Over the Country Club. I'm on the run with you, my sweet love. There's nothing wrong contemplating God under the chemtrails over the country club. So I definitely had to look up the significance of the album title and the song in particular to understand the context. Did you know what chemtrails over the country club meant? I didn't know what those two things together meant as a metaphor. I knew what a chemtrail was, but I did read a little bit deeper to find out what the two together were. And then also, I didn't really realize there was any conspiracy theories around chemtrails. I thought they were just the things that shot out of the back of planes. Well, that that's the whole idea. I mean, that's that's the origin of the, the term chemtrails. They're not really trails of anything chemical i don't i don't know exactly what it is but that is the the conspiracy theory the idea that there's chemicals being released and that somehow that's the government poisoning us or or doing something that that makes us easily controlled or i don't know brainwashed or something i'm not sure what's all wrapped up in there yeah i had no idea there was any thought behind that i i I thought of them as just innocent things coming off the back of a plane that they seem normal to me when i looked up in the sky right and then i think the idea of the country club is this staple for the american life especially the the rich culture collared shirts dress clothes fancy keeping up with appearances this this idea you know that it kind of symbolizes like the upper echelon american culture and how maybe we're all just being chemically induced by the government to be put into some some trance like that the world's not really real or something Oh, that's interesting. I, the way I was thinking of those two things were you know, people that are, tend to be more susceptible, of course I'm speaking in generalities, to conspiracy theories would contrast the people at the country club. Oh, okay. You know, you tend to be kind of like the maybe lower class, mm, or, you know, mm-hmm. you're just uneducated, that kind of thing that, that make up conspiracy theories about the government. And to be, as the song describes, almost oblivious to or sheltered from any fears of these chemtrails they're you know they're sipping their oh, iced sure. teas and yeah. on the ninth hole of the golf course with these chemtrails and it just doesn't even enter into their little bubble well that kind of kind of relates to how i was thinking of it too is that those are the people that although oblivious to these chemtrails might be the ones that are most under the spell they okay they yeah. don't they don't see it they don't realize it and that the government or whoever's behind these these chemtrails would be looking at them like they're in a bubble or something or like they're in this experimental world and there's a a wall or a window that you can see through kind of like when somebody's being psychologically evaluated and the the researchers can see in but the the, the patients can't see out and that people would just be studying these folks in the country club saying like look it worked you know we got them under our spell they're they're looking a certain way and they're talking a certain way and they're doing things, you know, kind of the way we program them to be. That's super interesting. Yeah, I didn't take it that next step. I was just thinking about kind of that juxtaposition of the haves and the haves-nots. If you have the ability or the privilege to separate yourself from 
those kind of things. Not only is it not scary, it's almost pretty. It's just a decoration in the sky mm-hmm. as you're enjoying your sweet life, whereas somebody else would view it as ominous or treacherous. Yeah, it's de- definitely interesting that she made this the the album title and then, uh, of course, the song with the same title. I don't know if she's fascinated in that conspiracy theory or just found it amusing or kind of laughable and decided to throw it in there or if it if it serves as a metaphor to represent this entire album and the fact that the music industry can be kind of structured or predictable and that you kind of have to just play your role be a part of the system and that maybe that's not super authentic kind of like if there were chemicals being released that are dictating how we live our lives and whatnot Made you for coffee at the elementary schools we laugh about nothing as the summer gets cool i really like the line probably my favorite line i'll meet you for coffee at the elementary school to steal a word that you just used that juxtaposition between youth and maturity we're going to meet for coffee like adults do but it's at the elementary school i don't know the idea of of maturity or or being pushed into an adult type activity like drinking coffee but still being in elementary school still feeling young and naive in the music world but being thrown into this big life with responsibilities and expectations that are maybe more suitable for somebody in their mid to late 20s but here you are at 19 20 years old and you have to do it all so quickly and you're kind of living a double life sort of sort of thing and that's just like a really simple way maybe to represent that i'm not sure did that line stick out to you kind of and i was thinking of it with some of the other ones about like wearing your jewels in the swimming pool or i think there's mm-hmm. another one about going to the supermarket all dressed up in a similar fashion and all of your jewels go to the very much flaunting these things with adulthood, trying to convey maturity, but not really knowing how to appropriately do it. Maybe this person's new to these experiences. Mm-hmm. Baby, what's your sign? My moon's in Leo, my cancer is sun. You won't there was another interesting line in the song that I, I had to look up to try to make sense out of, and I, I still don't know if I get it because I don't really understand astrology, but... It says, my cancer is sun and my Leo is moon. Did you put any thought into that? Yeah, it's a good question. I wasn't sure either because astrology is not my forte, but I did read somewhere that cancer is typically associated with moon and Leo is typically associated with sun and she flips those two things. So maybe just trying to show that she's kind of unpredictable. Right, yeah, that, that's what I read too, that somehow she was flipping those and that that was reflecting how she's kind of wild or... You know, does things in a different way. And then there's a part later, speaking of the Zodiac part, where she's talking about, I think she says, you're born in December and I'm born in June. And there was some speculation that maybe she's referencing one of her exes, Sean Larkin, who was a police officer. And from all accounts, they had a pretty stable relationship. They did, of course, um, move on. But maybe that's a reference to him mentioning her birth date and his together. Yeah. Could be. Last thing I wanted to mention on this one is I like when the chorus isn't as predictable from verse to verse. There's a part where she says, 
I'm in the wind, I'm in the water, nobody's son, nobody's daughter. Whereas prior she was saying things like, I'm on the run, contemplating God, you know, different things, just to kind of have the same tune, but throw different words in there. Yeah, definitely, because you know you know they sat there for a while and thought about how they could make it interesting without being repetitive, but it also probably takes a while to find the right words that don't change the song but enhance it. I think you're right. It's cool when, when artists can do that. Like the prior song, this one kind of has a build at the end with the music, and we were texting earlier today, actually, prior to sitting down to actually record this, about where you might place yourself when listening to this album. I mentioned on prior podcasts, I'm oftentimes listening, almost exclusively actually, on my BART ride to work. And there was something about this song just with that uh, repetitive, it almost sounded like a tram on a track. So it fit in a way for me sitting there listening to this, but it wasn't quite right. So I was trying to think where would be the perfect place to sit and listen to this album. And I think you have to put yourself in a different place and a different time. So playing on that nostalgia of the 50s, I see somebody on a train, maybe leaving a busier city like New York or L.A. as she talks about yeah, yeah. the song coming up. Maybe on Amtrak setting yeah, out on, on a an long Amtrak journey. With like one of those old time suitcases mm-hmm. next to you on the bench. Yeah, leather suitcase and with a, a belt strap around it. Yeah, if I could put myself in a particular place listening to this album, mm-hmm. I'd have to have a time machine, but I'd be on a train Amtrak leaving a big city to somewhere somewhere in the Midwest. Just looking out the window listening to this song. And that outro where everything else cuts out and you just hear those drums as it kind of feels like you're leaving the coast, heading somewhere in the Midwest. I thought that was an interesting choice. Ah, interesting. You're thinking about heading to the Midwest because there's another song later in this album that talks about just that, her her trip to the Midwest and experience with that. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to talking about that. Just to add to your point of feeling like you probably got to be in a different time to listen to this and get wrapped up in the the setting of the music, uh, reference the album cover, and it's uh, a bunch of women sitting at a table with a plaid tablecloth and they're all wearing vintage attire. Maybe you're right on with this album kind of going back in time. Yeah, since you're talking about that picture too, I think a lot of the women in the picture are friends of hers. And I read that the one on the far left is her sister who is a photographer by trade and she goes by the name Chuck for whatever oh. reason. So she's on. she's one of the women in that that's cool i didn't look into that yeah well let's move on to the next track the music changes pace a little bit in track number three this one is titled tulsa jesus freak i really like the beat and the background on the sound of this song here I think the instrumental for this track would be a really good standalone lounge music uh, song. Yeah, this album stays at a lower contemplative level the entire time, but they do pepper in a few things. Mm -hmm. 
throughout, and this is one that does stand out with a little bit quicker pace just to kind of break up a little bit of that slower qualities of these first couple songs. And this is a really interesting one, both in the title and then some of the imagery and verbiage throughout the lyrics, talking about kind of a religious theme that she ties to different things. Of course, the song being Jesus Freak. And then just the imagery like, stay real close to Jesus, sing me like a Bible hymn was one of my favorite lines. Talks about peace of heaven. And then, of course, that repeating ever and ever, amen. You should stay real close to Jesus. What did you make of the, the references to alcohol? Keep keep that bottle at your hand. My man, find your way back to my bed again. And then later on, trade this body for the can of gin. Any idea what that was referencing? I wasn't sure on that. What about you? I don't know for sure. Maybe a, a past relationship. I mean, it doesn't sound very healthy talking about somebody who has the bottle in their hand and finding their way back to her bed that maybe it was superficial relationship or one based on things that weren't totally pure or innocent or whole or, or what, whatever uh, way you want to look at that. It's a good question. I didn't think about whether or not it referenced prior relationship, but I did read that the gentleman that I had referenced in the prior song, potentially being born in December, Sean Larkin, mm -hmm. I mentioned he was a police officer, but he also had, as an actual police officer, a lead in a reality TV show based on his unit or his mm -hmm. what would you call it his his uh, department right and that was in tulsa actually. yeah yep yeah where as they pronounce it there the arkansas river flows which is kind of interesting i thought she was just being silly by not saying arkansas but i read that they actually pronounce it arkansas there's really they actually yeah. do pronounce mm -hmm. it that way okay yeah there's there's i think two accepted pronunciations some people call it the arkansas river and some call it the arkansas and interesting people you know, know what, what i thought when i read way. that i didn't realize that that was actually a legit way to pronounce it i was interpreting that like you know in the wizard of oz when dorothy says i don't think we're in kansas anymore oh yeah i thought maybe she was trying to kind of bend that word to you know saying we should go back to our kansas like oh. we should go back to where we are safe or where our home oh, interesting. is yeah we should go well she's definitely reflecting on some some past life or relationship where maybe she was a little fragile looking back on it because she finishes or comes to the line after what we're talking about by saying no more candle in the wind you know using that as a metaphor to say that She's more stable now. She's not, not as fragile, can't be put out so easily. I think that line is a nod to Elton John's song of the same name. Oh, sure, yeah. That was written about, about Marilyn that. Monroe and her untimely death and, of course, brought to life again with the death of Princess Diana, which Lana makes some allusions to in an upcoming song. Mm -hmm. But I'm trying to count all of these references to other artists. The first song we talked about, Kings of Leon and White Stripes. Mm -hmm. And now I think she's making a little nod to Elton John with that line. And there's cool. several more coming up. So I'll see if we can name them all as we go. Well, she said she's a fan of anybody who's, who's the best at what they do in their own space of, of the musical world within their genre. And 
I can't think of more people who do what Elton John does better than Elton John. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> you know, no question about pretty, it. Pretty unique uh, presence. That will be a fun one to an album to dive into of his oh, at yeah. some point. Definitely. And it seems to me you lived your life like a candle in the wind. Never knowing who to cling to when the rain said One of the things I wanted to touch on with this song is that the little echoes and extra voices in the background were, were kind of cool. It almost created uh, a dreamlike reflection in a way. And this is still kind of piggybacking off of that first song with sun stare head in my hands you know thinking of a simpler time there's still sort of this reflection on the past and trying to make sense of where you are and how you got there um, with with all three of these first opening tracks Yeah, this one ended up being one of my favorites when it was all said and done. Oh, interesting. Did you read that the original title of the album was White Hot Forever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw I that. I thought that was really interesting. I could see that as being a great title for this album, too. Sure, yeah. Um, it sort of fits with some of the themes we'd mentioned before of just kind of like wishing things were the way they were in the past and mm-hmm. that things wouldn't change. We'll you know, be young forever. We'll be white hot forever. And and then in the first song she had mentioned listening to white stripes when they were white hot. So right. to tie that throughout some of these songs, I, I kind of thought I, I could see this album being white hot forever. Chemtrails is a cool name too, but yeah, that would have been cool. Yeah. I, I, I like chemtrails because it has this mysteriousness about it. You know, like, is it, is it real? Is it not? What exactly is it? This juxtaposition between who we are and where we are at in life and how we reflect on our past and, and who we were and where we were at that time and just trying to understand everything. That that idea of chemtrails seems more abstract and undefined, which I think would be a good way to explain a lot of these songs and maybe this album as a whole. It's this exploration of you know, who you are uh, based on past experiences and and where you're going and white hot forever although there's there's themes that fit to that it almost seems more finite that you know part of this album is that she's not white hot anymore and although she kind of longs for that time that sense of innocence and and freedom part of her doesn't really like that either and she's kind of moved on from it so maybe that's why they changed it thinking that's not quite what we're trying to to say here maybe yeah yeah i don't know I like it in this song because I feel like you're supposed to know as she's singing will be white hot forever that that can't be that people can't stay mm. anyway forever sure. and yeah. so it makes you feel kind of nostalgic and happy reflecting on something that maybe felt more safe but at the same time as she's singing it you kind of get the sense that she realizes the past is the past mm-hmm. you can't step back into the same river twice as yeah. they say yeah the Arkansas River yeah, well, sometimes the past finds its way into the, the present, kind of like that jean jacket you're wearing. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I don't know if that was the best place to throw that in there, but I've been waiting to comment on your attire, Trevor. Look, looking sharp. <laughs> I've, I've been, I'm surprised it took you this long, actually. I, I'm kind of insulted. You'll be white hot forever. For quit, for sure. For sure. White hot forever. White hot Well, let's wrap up 
this track here and move on to one of my favorites from the album. This was the first song that I heard from this album because it was released a few months prior to this album. I think this song was actually released at the end of 2020. Track four is titled, Let Me Love You Like a Woman. 
falling in love with somebody or, or doing it the right way. And that if, Hey, we could just get out of here and just leave, go anywhere, but here and just leave all this stuff behind us and just focus on us. That's what we're meant, meant to do or who we're meant to be. And that that's the best way to accomplish it is just to get into a different space and kind of start over or, or prioritize something different than whatever's going on. Yeah. One of the things though, that I thought was really interesting about some of her lyrics choices in this one is because on the whole, that's what I felt like this song was too. It was just like kind of a love song. Like you fall in love with somebody and you figure out what's important and that just makes you want to leave everything else and just focus on that other person. But if you read a little bit deeper into it, it does feel like it's still more about Lana herself and about her own escape from her current life because it almost feels like the object of her affection in this song is sort of secondary to her escape. Lines like, I guess I could manage if you stay, but I wouldn't have any fun. And even that opening line of, I come from a small town, which she does. Lana is from a town called Lake Placid, which had about 2,200 residents. But the second part of that line is, how about you? Almost implying that maybe she doesn't really know this person that deeply. Mm -hmm. You know, 80 miles north or south will do. It seems like it's more about Lana's escape than it is about her maybe deep love for this person that wants to get her out of where she is currently. I guess I could manage if you stay. It's just if you do, I can't see myself having any fun. So yeah, that's interesting. I, I didn't really pick up on that, but I can see where you're you're coming from. She's decided, hey, this is this is what I'm doing. I don't want to be here, and I want you to come. But are you from a small town like me, or do you want to stay here? Maybe I'm going anyway. I got to get out of here. All right, we got another reference to. Another famous musician oh, in yeah. this song. Did you pick it up? Prince. Uh -huh. That's right. It says, we could get lost in the purple rain. I love how she sings rain. Just this sort of light trailing. I would try to do it, but you can just play the clip because <laughs> she does it really well. We could get lost in the purple rain. And that song's about how love endures, so you know, a little different than what I was saying about maybe this being more about her. At least the reference to the Prince song might imply that it's about wanting that love to to endure. But Purple Rain is also isn't that a drug reference to some degree? Is it Purple Rain or Purple Haze? Oh, Purple Haze. Maybe would Purple Haze. Be. That would make more Jimmy sense because that's Jimi yeah. Hendrix. Yeah. But I was thinking there was some potential drug reference to Purple Rain because then after that she says we could get high on some pink champagne and she sings that word champagne with that trailing vocal as well that she does in rain almost giving you the sense that they're higher and the clouds are kind of floating away just like the word is floating away want this one to be a little bit more repetitive because it's kind of got a safety to it and you get the sense that even though I mentioned that maybe it's more about her if you were the object of this 
song and a woman was singing let me love you like a woman it, it's almost like a a rocking lullaby type of feeling mm-hmm. you expect the lines that are coming next you know the repetition captures you and anchors you a little bit more don't make me be bittersweet let me love you like a woman well with that i think we're ready to move on to the next track this one might be vying for my favorite it's a good one. Track five is titled Wild at Heart. You love me, you love me cause I'm wild at heart. Baby, I'm wild, wild at heart. I really like this song too. It's not my favorite track on the album as a whole, but musically it might be. It starts out really elegant. That guitar is really stripped down i don't i don't think there's too much acoustic guitar in this album or at least it doesn't stand out to me too much it's more piano driven but here the guitar really draws you in that's the first time we've heard anything like that it kind of has a folky vibe to it Uh, and then later in the song, right before the chorus, that music changes where where they say, I left Calabasas, escaped all the ashes, ran into the dark, and it made me wild, wild, wild at heart. That has kind of a, a 60s vibe to it, I think. I like that. I left Calabasas, escaped all the ashes, ran into the dark, and it made me wild, wild. I read that the title of this song may be a reference to David Lynch's 1990 cult classic film of the same name, Wild at Heart. Hmm. I guess Lana Del Rey and David Lynch are fans of each other, obviously different mediums, but they've expressed some mutual appreciation for each other's work. Potentially, this song might be an ode to her admiration of his work as well. Okay. And then the reference to Sunset Boulevard, that famous street in Los Angeles including the infamous Viper Room, where a lot of stars would hang out. Maybe the most famous of that was one of the last places that River Phoenix was seen before his drug overdose. Oh, wow. That line, escaped all the ashes, refers to leaving California and all the fires. Ah, okay. I can't believe I didn't pick up on that right now because I'm here in California with ashes. I wasn't making that connection when we were talking about leaving LA in the last song but now maybe that all ties together because the song is talking about ending up in the Midwest which made her feel wild at heart it was more freeing and open maybe the small town it was more what she was looking for and I'm not sure where that fits in chronologically with her life did she end up there I don't know if she lived there or not that was the one that the man that she was dating had his reality show there so she certainly likely spent some time there I, I do have a, a quote written from her in my notes here that says in reference to this song, it's it's funny, the record was Midwestern sounding before I even went to the Midwest. And when I'm singing about Arkansas, even I'm wondering why. And then she goes on to say, because I know she did end up in the Midwest. We'll talk about that in another song coming up here. There's a, there's a reference to uh, a Midwestern city. But she says here, the one way I would describe the Midwest, Oklahoma in particular, 
is that it's not cooked or oversaturated and there's still space to catch that white lightning. I thought that was kind of cool. We've talked about white lightning in the past uh, being a reference to moonshine, but just that idea of being wild and free. Wild, wild and high. The cameras had flashes, they caused the car crashes, but I'm not a star. If you love me, you love me. Yeah, and then that next line of the chorus, the cameras have flashes that cause the car crashes. But I'm not a star. I think that a reference again to Princess Diana's death. Sure. And I think just another example of why she's torn between these two worlds of kind of wanting to leave fame. If you follow fame to its darkest corner, you have stories like River Phoenix, who died after his wild night at the Viper Room, and the paparazzi essentially leading to the death of Princess Diana, but just highlighting the dark side of the fame that she's found herself in at this point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, at this point, we're five tracks into the album, and although we've talked a lot about how it's likely autobiographical, recounting Lana's entrance into the music world and everything she's come to to realize and understand through that and all of the stories that jut off of that but in a way maybe we're starting to see that this is a concept album and describing the music industry in general and life growing up you know reflecting on on the past and maturing and kind of finding your way in the world yeah i think there's a sense at this point when she's reached this level of fame that she's trying to find something to ground herself and kind of a fear of losing yourself. Mm -hmm. I know she's got a fascination with some of those artists, like you mentioned Amy Winehouse. I think she has a tattoo that references Amy Winehouse and Whitney Houston, both artists that had died young. And I know she's Mm -hmm. talked a lot about Kurt Cobain. Right. So sort of a morbid fascination with the extremes of what this lifestyle might lead to. Mm -hmm. If they love me, they'll love me, cause I'm wild, wild at and that transitions well into the next song, which really is looking at the underbelly of the music industry. Should we go on to track six? Yeah, let's do it. Track six is called Dark But Just a Game. This is also the midway point of the record. So let's flip it over and listen to side two. This was a fun track on the album. It was it was really chill, so maybe it serves as a, a good first track for the, the second half. I don't know if it really stood out on the album. It wasn't one of my favorites, but it was pleasant. I mean, it was cool to listen to musically. Interesting. This one really did stand out to me, hmm. and musically especially. I feel like this could have been... Like, I could see, like, Radiohead doing this song or something. Hmm. Yeah. I think I mentioned earlier, it felt like we were looking at the underbelly of the music industry. And that's what it, that's what it sounds like to me. Mm-hmm. Did you read the backstory on this song? I think she was going to a, was it a birthday party of someone famous with her producer, Jack Antonoff? I know it started from a conversation they had. Yeah, I think that's the gist of it. Dark But Just a Game was a quote from Jack 
referring to a party they attended at Guy O'Siri's house. I'm not familiar with who that is, but I assume that's who they're referencing here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I read too. They were at some party and it sounds like Lana maybe met one of her idols and didn't quite have the experience she was hoping or, or expecting for. And I believe she had, had said to herself, I just thought in reference to meeting this person, I, th I think it's interesting that the best musicians end up in such terrible places. And I, I thought to myself, I'm going to try my best uh, not to change because I love who I am. So she said to, to Jack Antonoff, her producer who was with her at the party, she said, Jack, it's dark. And he came back with, well, it's dark, but just a game. It's dark, but just a game. That's what he would say to me. The faces aren't the same, but their stories all end tragically. Yeah, and then there's a line that says, the great ones all end tragically. We talked on earlier songs about some right, of the artists yeah. that she holds at high esteem. She's got that tattoo that says Whitney Amy, referencing Whitney Houston and Amy Winehouse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she, both fell victim to drugs and alcohol. She almost romanticizes some of those artists. And implying that maybe it's the darkness of the music industry or fame in general that potentially leads people down that path. What'd you make of the line, no rose left on the vine? I'm not sure if I really put much thought into that. What were you thinking? When I first heard it, I was thinking like all the good things have been stripped away. Like maybe somebody that started off with good intentions and talent that enters the music industry that then, you know, all the things that made them stand out and talented and beautiful got picked away like no rose was left on the vine. But then you could also read it that this is her being steadfast that she's not going to let that happen so meaning that she's going to pick all the roses herself and and get all the good things out of life as a more of a positive i don't know could probably go either way yeah no rose left on the vines don't even know what's mine much less the fame i really like the ending of this song yeah that was that was a little bit about that right yeah that was interesting how she decided to end end the the song with just it's dark she says it's dark but just oh right yeah but just it's dark but just and she doesn't choose to finish by saying a game so maybe right. maybe it's just dark i don't right. know right yeah, yeah it's it's just dark or you know, because everything before that, you know, again, even though it's just a game part is saying it's okay. You know, I've identified that this isn't real. I'm not going to let this get me. And then at the end, it's maybe like something got her. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think of it in its darkest sense, it's like she didn't even get to finish the line before she was snuffed out by oh. the industry. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of a dark thought. Yeah. I guess the full line, it's dark, but just a game gives you some kind of ability to tolerate the darkness or accept it saying it's just a game it's not that serious it kind of allows you to step away from what's happening because it's not totally real that's sort of a way to explain to yourself why things are dark and accept the fact that there are some bad things that happen but oh it's just part of it ultimately you know it probably is pretty serious and shouldn't be saying oh it's just a game because you know, it's it's deeper than that. Sweet, oh, whatever, baby. 
Candace's pretty little fool to think exception to the rule, almost like she's recognizing that she herself is not immune to these very things that might have taken some of these other artists. Mm-hmm. But it was a cool song. It's, this was up there on one of my favorites. That's interesting. I looked at it more as a filler track. Yeah. Well, you want to move on to track seven? Yeah, let's dive into this one. Track seven is titled, Not All Who Wander Are Lost. You talk to God like I do. I think you know the same secrets that I do. I'm talking about not all those who wander are lost. Not all those who wander. This track didn't really stand out to me either as one that I'll remember from the album, but I did like the reference to Lincoln, Nebraska, having her in a haze because that's where my sister and her husband live and uh, a city I've frequented quite a bit. So I know what she's referencing here and it kind of makes me think of home. In 2019, Lana Del Rey managed her own tour for, for the album that she released that year. And her managers have commented as saying that she chose some odd places to go that didn't really make sense for a typical tour. That's right. I remember reading that too. I read that the line, I've been wearing the same damn clothes for three damn days, was referencing the fact that she was laid over in Lincoln. She said she did, in fact, wear the same outfit for three shows on her tour. But then there's a tweet from Lana from a while ago that said, Lincoln, Nebraska, where we were laid over for the travel day, didn't even get to play but had so much fun and you showed us so much love. Every single day was so interesting and special. So she made it sound like maybe they were scheduled to perform but didn't get to for some reason. Or maybe had to leave. I don't know. I'm not sure. I've been wearing the same damn clothes for three damn days. Lincoln, Nebraska I'm not sure either, but I did read the same thing about her getting laid over there and and having to wear the same damn clothes for three damn days. So something about Lincoln, Nebraska, whether she actually got to perform or not, sounds like she was stranded. And it sounds like that was one of the strange choices that she, her managers referenced on her tour dates that she designed herself. I'm not sure why that would be considered strange unless the, the tour was supposed to be all big cities. Like your Midwest stop should be Chicago, Kansas City, Minneapolis, some of those huge metro areas that everybody knows about instead of a place like Lincoln, Nebraska, which in comparison is a smaller place. But That's kind of what I'm thinking. As somebody of her caliber could, you know, her Midwest stop lat, yeah, yeah. like you said, it's going to be Chicago or something. But I thought it was cool that she had a, a good experience there, enough to, to tweet about it. And as we talked about in some of the earlier songs, there's been reference to feeling more more free in the Midwest and how things are not quite as fast-paced and oversaturated or cooked up, as she mentioned, California or, or L.A., specifically the big cities in California where the music industry is so big. That was kind of cool that her, her experiences on tour have given her that, that sense of knowing that things are a little different in the Midwest and that there's a lot of good. Yeah, and this was during her Norman fucking Rockwell tour. Right. But it fits in with the theme of this album, which is kind of that escape from the bigger city into, yeah, you know, again, not that Lincoln's small, but just somewhere a little bit 
a little bit more off the grid for somebody of her caliber. I wonder if she was feeling those things that eventually made their way into lyrics when she was designing some of these tour stops, just kind of that escapism quality. Yeah, that idea of wanderlust and wanting to experience new things. Yeah, I, w- I wonder if that's the case. Night of those who wander, others who wander, others who wander, are lost. That phrase, not all those who wander are lost, is at this point sort of cliche. I think I was joking to you that it's a phrase with much truth, but we've heard it so much that it's like stickers on your Nalgene bottle and mm-hmm. and on the back <laughs> of your Jetta at this point. But I guess it has its origins from J.R. Tolkien. So at the time that it was written, it was probably a phrase that didn't feel so overused like it does now, of course. from It wasn't one of the Lord of the Rings books, but it was the, the Riddle of Strider, which mm. I have not read. Are you a Tolkien fan? I am not familiar with him. Oh, well, you know, Lord of the Rings. Never seen Hobbit. it. Wow, okay. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan either, but anytime I say, yeah, I've seen a couple of the Lord of the Rings, but not, nothing else, everybody's like, how do you not know? I know, you're I get even, a lot of crap even more for than that. me. Yeah. I know of the Lord of the Rings, obviously. Yeah. But I've never seen the movies. I guess this song was originally called Wanderlust, or they're thinking it might be because the original vinyl code comes with a digital copy, and when you download that, the track doesn't come in as Not All Those Who Wander Are Lost, actually comes in as Wanderlust being the title. Yeah, I read that too, and now that I think about it, Wanderlust kind of sounds like Wander Lost. I wonder if that's where this idea of Not All Who Wander Are Lost comes from that idea of wanderlust and that that's actually the goal of wandering or seemingly being lost. That's the intention. So if you set out to do that, you're not actually lost, but you're also seeking a feeling as though you are. That's, I think, the conundrum with that phrase and probably why I like it. I agree it's it's overdone and it's kind of cliche at this point, but I've always resonated well with that because... There's all this pressure and temptation to have a plan and a rigid structure. Where do you see yourself in five years, 10 years? Everything has to be organized and neat. And that if you do the opposite of that and wander without definite plans, but base your life more on principles and ideas of things that you want it to include, but not having so much rigidity. Sometimes people view that as that person being lost. They're just wandering. They don't really know what they want in life but yeah. maybe that's actually what they want. So, Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth in the quote. It, Like I said, it's just something I've heard so much, it's hard for me to hear it in the context of the song and really be moved by it, Yeah, just because it's, uh, it's something I've already processed in so many other times I've heard it in different ways. So for that reason, I guess, and the fact that just the chorus itself, repeating that over and over again, kind of draws it out in a way that I didn't find super interesting. I like the verses, but... Mm-hmm. I didn't love the chorus. This might be my least favorite song on the album. So what you're telling us is that we're not going to see a Not All Who Wander Our Lost sticker on your Jetta. No, I'm thinking about putting a patch on my jean jacket, though. (laughs) (laughs) You should get lots of flair on that jean jacket. Next time I expect it to be rainbowed up with all sorts of different things. Can you see this? Oh, you got a pin. What is it? I can't make it out can't see it Mm-mm. oh yeah how it feels to be something on that's right very nice one of my 
favorites. You can find anything on Etsy, by the way. <laughs> you should take a photo and send it to William and Greg and say, this is how it feels to be something on a jean jacket. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might have to do that, actually. That's good. Before we move on from this one, what'd you make of the spoken word at the like 120 mark? Is that the bridge that look at me, look at you, look at what you made me do? No, it's a male voice in the background that you can kind of just barely I, hear. I don't think I could make out what he was saying. I couldn't really either, and I even posted this on the Lana Del Rey Facebook group to see if some of the Uber fans could help me out, and I didn't get any definite answers from them either. It sounds to me like they're saying, I don't think so. Hmm. And then it, again at the end, it's the same voice there. So I know it, it was reminding me of kind of the white dress where it felt like something that maybe happened in the studio that they just left in. I don't know. But I found that interesting. Not sure. Indistinct. What about the bridge part? Look at me, look at you, look at what you made me do. Look at me, look at you, Bible on your tattoo. Yeah, I don't know what that is trying to say either in, in the spirit of this song. I'm not sure I fully grasp all of it except the the title. Obviously, that's pretty straightforward, and we spent most time talking about that. But definitely some lyrics that could probably be dove into a little more deeply. We'll have to consult the Facebook group for some help on this one. Yes, good idea. Should we move on to track eight? Yeah, this one is titled... One of my favorite places in the world, Yosemite. It's not like I'm invisible. Not like before when I was burning at both ends. We did it for fun. We did it for free. I did it for you. You did it for me. I feel like I've said this too many times already, but I really mean it. This is also one of my favorite songs <laughs> on this album. And it was a grower for me. I think I'm going to stick to Wild at Heart, potentially being my favorite, or, or potentially White Dress. But this might be, well, I also really like Dark But Just a Game. So <laughs> I'm going to have to re-rank these, but this is up there for sure as one of my favorites. And just the sound of it, and again, the fact that it's one that the more you listen, there's more things that pop out different places you can dive into on this one so overall i thought this was a really cool song what do you think of this one musically i i thought it was really beautiful i loved the simple guitar lines to start that kept repeating in the background it reminded me of what she said earlier about her uncle teaching her six chords and realizing she could probably write a million songs with just those six chords. The way she sang was really elegant as well. So overall. If the whole album is draped in this feeling of escapism, this song made it feel like she found some sort of sanctuary. Mm -hmm. Like I picture her in this cabin in the woods having escaped fame. She mentions that the seasons will change, but she won't. Mm -hmm. So it's like somehow she's found this secret place with this person that she loves that She's impervious to all the pitfalls of the music industry and the things that would try to change her. Yeah, and I think that's a great way to describe the place of Yosemite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, very true. As you were saying that, I was thinking that's a place where the seasons change, the people come and go, 
It may look a little different at times, but it always remains the same. El, El Capitan is always going to be there, or at least, I don't know, it might not be in a million years or something, but for our lifetime, you go back and there's those staples that are always there and there's something that feels stable about being there. Seasons may change But we won't change Isn't it sweet how we know that already Winter to spring Spring back to fall Isn't it cool how nothing here changes at all it's one of my favorite places on earth as well. I got to explore that a couple years ago, um, having now lived close enough to it here in San Francisco. And even though I looked at pictures, I even watched the documentary called Free Solo. Oh, yeah, that was prior amazing. to going. But even having felt like I saw enough to know what to expect, it still just took my breath away. And it did feel like time kind of slowed down and stopped. And that's what this song feels like. It just gives you this kind of feeling of like you've arrived somewhere. Where else would you want to be? And she throws in the line, no more candle in the wind again as yes. well, which is which yes. is really cool because it's alluding to what you said about her feeling more stable and secure at this point, which I think is wrapped up in being content with the relationship that she's in with with her lover at this point wherever she's singing this from whatever place uh, she's in at the time she's comparing it to her past self where maybe she was a little more vulnerable now she's feeling more at ease one of my favorite parts was the bridge on this one where she's got that effect on her voice that almost makes it feel a little bit more haunting Mm -hmm. that and the words in that section made it feel like her subconscious reminding her of some of what she's lost to the static of fame If there's something that really defines Lana as a, a singer or sets her apart from other people, it is that seemingly easiness about how she's singing. It's almost like an extension of spoken word, but it's not forced. It's super elegant, but it doesn't sound like something easy for most of us to do or anybody. But for her, it just seems like she's being herself. I think I read that seeing her in concert is an experience and that sometimes she'll just come out on the stage and start singing without much introduction, almost like she's a open mic night coffee shop kind of performer. I get that Lana vibe in this song too. What I what I think of as her her sound, it really comes through. We did it for the ride. I like how she sings the word right in the line we did it for the right reasons how she really drags that out and plays with it a little bit yeah i like that line of just making reference again to the fact that she's escaped that they left for the right reasons to hold on to who they are not get wrapped up in the music industry mm -hmm. there's a potential alternative theme of the object or, or message in the song that maybe it's not about a relationship but something else lana has touched on in the past and that potentially it's about being in touch with what it takes to do things for the right reasons. 
not just a relationship budding over all the right reasons, but that all the actions that you need to take beyond just the words and all the decisions uh, that you make in your life that this song in particular was special to her because it's it's about surrounding yourself with people who put their art and uh, love first, who do it for the right reasons, not just for the money. So potentially this song is referencing art and music and uh, the creation of that and doing it the right way for the right reasons, which ties into some of the themes of this album with the music industry and some of the darkness uh, surrounding that. Yeah, and that makes me think of what a song we'll talk about at the end, not written by Lana, but tying on some of those same themes. Mm-hmm. But we've got a couple more before that. Should we move on to the next song? Yeah. Track nine is called Breaking Up Slowly. This is a really sweet song. I wasn't familiar with Nikki Lane, who's featured in this song, but man, her voice is incredible. I was in the same boat. I wasn't aware of her before. I guess she's a country singer, but she's got a little bit of that same nostalgic aesthetic that Lana has, and so she was a good fit for this song. And I guess it was co-written by them, but Nikki let Lana have it for the album. Mm, Okay. But I like that Nikki feels like the centerpiece to this song, even though we hear Lana. And maybe it's because it's the first time we've heard a different voice. But there's a couple females featured in the last song, too. And in that one and this one, it feels like Lana has given them the spotlight to shine, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I agree. Breaking up slowly is a hard thing to do. I love you only, but it's making me blue. So don't send me flowers like you always do. It's hard to be loved. This is an interesting one lyrically, too, describing somebody who knows they need to leave a relationship but having a hard time breaking free of it. Yeah. Yeah, this one stuck with me as well. It's an interesting thing to think about. It's not probably something that people sing about in music a lot or talk about too much you talk about the good stuff of a relationship the love when things are great and you talk about the hardship when things fall apart and you talk about remorse or sorrow or the longing for what you used to have but there's not many people talking about that in-between stage where you're kind of still together but you know wrestling with the idea of whether or not you should be with some good lyrics they were pretty clever the title breaking up slowly is a hard thing to do i love you only but it's making me blue so this idea of loving somebody but also struggling with doing that so don't send me flowers like you always do something kind of cliche you know it's hard to be lonely but it's the right thing to do sometimes you might be thinking about the other side and how there's bad things that come with that but maybe that's what you have to do at times yeah that's a good point Typically, if you're going to write a song, it's going to be from a place of passion, whether it would be love or it's going to be a breaking up quickly type of situation Mm -hmm. that's going to inspire lyrics to a song. And so this is unique in that way. And back to referencing other artists. She mentions Tammy Wynette Mm -hmm. in this song. Yeah. Tammy Wynette is known as the first lady of country music. And she famously wrote a song called Stand By Your Man, which is an interesting contrast to breaking up slowly 
the implication perhaps that standing by your man in the relationship might end in suffering for the person singing them. Tammy Wynette did die young, though her death was related more to medical problems and addiction to painkillers, but nonetheless just making the point that maybe standing by your man isn't always the right thing to do. I don't want to live with a life of regret. I don't want to end up like Tammy Wynette. I like verse two. Uh, George got arrested out on the lawn. We might be breaking up after the song, Will He Still Love Me? Long after I'm gone, or did he see it coming all along? George got arrested out on the lawn. We might be breaking up after this song. Will he still love me? The way she sings that is kind of clever, and it just makes you think of some relationship that's maybe falling apart for whatever problem you could insert in there that led to George getting arrested. But That's uh, right, yeah. You know, her, her thinking like, you know, we're probably going to break up. Oh, and that's right. It's a reference to George Jones. Another country artist. Yeah, and he was married to Tammy Wynette. Correct, yep. After their divorce, Jones got arrested multiple times for driving under the influence. That's right. I also read that sometimes in George Jones's song, If Drinkin' Don't Kill Me, Her Memory Will, he would change the first line of the chorus to If Drinkin' Don't Kill Me, Tammy's Memory Will. Wow, yeah. I like the simplicity of this song in the same way that Love Me Like a Woman didn't try to overstate things. It kept that theme and message pretty simple. And this one is the same way. It's it's deep enough in itself to not have to dress it up anymore. Just breaking up is easy on the surface, but much harder in practice. Right, yeah. It's hard to be lonely, but it's the right thing to do. We got a couple left. Should we go over track 10? Let's move on to track 10. This song is called Dance Till We Die. Closed down tonight. There's one that stays open just for us, alright. We keep dancing, baby. So we made it back in the middle of the night. Keep dancing, baby. To the Louisiana Tuesday high and trying to count up the references to other musicians throughout this album and I'm losing track and if I was losing track already this song is going to push me over the edge there because right out of the gate she's paying homage to singer-songwriters Joan Baez, Joni Mitchell, Stevie Nicks and even Courtney Love in this song. I'm covering Joni and I'm dancing with Joan Stevie's calling on the telephone Court almost burnt down my home 
What did you make of the lyrics or the overall theme of the song or its place in the album and where we've come so far with the, the stories that have been told, the timeline? Where do we go in this one? There's some literal references within this song to, to dancing. I read that her and Joan Baez actually went out clubbing at an Afro-Caribbean two-step place. Oh, right. That was probably my favorite part of the song, The Bridge, where it says, I went down to Woodside. I left Berkeley out of city, out of mind. Killing it, talking shit. Joni said she was going to quit. Tearing it up at the Afro-Caribbean two-step. I left San Francisco. I've been covering Joni and I'm dancing with Joan. It's kind of hard to find love when you're used to rolling like a Rolling Stone. I love that part too. A lot of references wrapped up in there. Yeah, and, and musically, that was really cool because I really liked the chorus early that we get introduced to at the beginning of the song, but it's real slow and pretty chill, typical Lana. Sounds like a lot of the other tracks, but then that bridge really, really has a... Uh, a musical change, a change of pace. And it's got, again, kind of a 60s vibe, which makes sense because she's given nods to Joni and Joan. Well, that section particularly to me sounded like something from the 60s. I, I mm-hmm. yeah. felt like both how it was recorded and then the style of music, I felt like I was listening in on a live performance from Woodstock or something like that. Yeah. As we've referenced in, in uh, some of our past albums. It felt like you were there, like they were singing to you, more like a live Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I could hear Janis Joplin singing that part. Yeah, oh yeah, it sounds a lot like her, definitely. I went down a woodside I left Berkeley out of city Out of mind, killing it, talking shit Joan said she was gonna quit Tearing it up at the asked me what I thought about the theme of this song and, and from a literal standpoint there is actual story of her her dancing but then I thought of it just being she's referencing all of these women that came before her and that are legends in their own right and that through all the chaos of the music industry that you know if they're still going if they're still dancing metaphorically she's going to keep doing that too we won't stop dancing till we die Walking on the sunny side, and we won't stop until we die. Yeah, yeah, and there's also this realization moment where Lana is now friends with the people that she grew up idolizing that have inspired her. Kind of a a feeling of, hey, I I made it. You know, I'm hanging out with these people now that are like icons and legends. Yeah, absolutely. I read, too, that she played the Greek theater in Berkeley in 2019, so would have been on that Norman fucking Rockwell tour. Mm-hmm. And that's when she brought Joan Baez to sing right. Diamonds and Rust. Yeah, and that's when they went out clubbing afterwards. That's when the they Afro went out clubbing Caribbean after, place. Yeah. yeah. But that she had dinner the night before <laughs> the concert with her and her granddaughter. She had reached out to Joan Baez because she knew she was in the area to see if she wanted to come out and sing. And have dinner and hang out. And I guess um, Joan Baez reached out to her granddaughter saying, like, do you know who this Lana Del Rey Mm. is? Mm -hmm. And her granddaughter was, like, just starstruck and just just being like, how do you not know who Lana Del Rey is? And (laughs) it's just funny to think, you know, different generations. I mean, here her grandmother in her own right is 
this legend and she's like yeah yeah that's that's grandma joan but right she's gonna hang out with lana del rey you know? <laughs> yeah that's pretty cool i i read in an interview lana was talking about how they went out dancing i assume after they performed together and she's quoted as saying joan fucking outlasted me <laughs> you know at the, the club dancing so that's pretty cool and she said they bonded really well you know and became good friends yeah, and she may not have wanted it any other way. That probably feels good in a sense to feel like, hey, this older lady's still out there doing it. Maybe I can, I can keep this up as well. Definitely. And we won't stop until we die. Well, I mentioned this song starts off referencing a number of those big name artists. One of them being Joni Mitchell, as she says, "I'm covering Joni Mitchell," and as some foreshadowing. That's what she does next on the last track of this album. This is Joni Mitchell's song for free. Now me, I play for fortunes And those velvet curtain calls I got a black limousine to gentlemen who escort me through these halls. Man, this, this was another great song. It's definitely in my top three. It's up there with Love Me Like a Woman and White Dress. I think that's my top three. I'm not sure which one I would say is my favorite, but I really like this one. The album starts out on White Dress with a very elegant... Uh, piano to draw in the listener and it ends with a song that highlights the piano as well and this one is extremely beautiful it's a very well done piece what stands out most to me in this final track is the quality of the vocals and the pairing of of the voices and harmonizations that are created with the artists featured on this song zella day and ways blood along with lana del rey I mentioned earlier that Lana really let Nikki Lane shine on track nine, Breaking Up Slowly. Two other artists are featured on this song and both have incredible voices as well. And again, Lana lets them shine, I think, for the most part. And they do an incredible job. Yeah, the first verse is sung by an artist named Zella Day. Lana picks up the second verse, and then the third verse is by Way's Blood. Were you familiar with either of those no, two? No, I hadn't heard them either. I knew Wise Blood, who sings a third verse. She released an album in 2019 that was on top of a number of people's top albums for the year. I believe it was called Titanic Rising. And I think if we were doing this podcast in 2019, we'd be talking about that album. It was really a great album. And it's similar in the sense that she draws on a lot of artists before her. I was getting a lot of Karen Carpenter mm -hmm. vibe from the sound of her voice. Meant to go over and ask for a song, maybe put on a harmony. I heard his refrain as the signal changed. He was playing real good for free. I think they, they pair well together in this song. And then, yeah, Zella Day I wasn't familiar with, but 
I think she sounds great on the first verse too. I was standing on a noisy corner Waiting for the walking green Across the street he stood And he played real good On his clarinet for free This is a beautiful song written by Joni Mitchell about a time when she was already famous, leaving the comfort of a hotel room, and across the street she heard a man playing the clarinet for nothing, and just thinking about how she started out that way, and the purity of just creating music. The lyrics of the song say, and I'll play if you've got the money, or if you're a friend to me, but the one-man band by the quick lunch stand, he's been playing real good for free. So this time that Joni was just nostalgic a bit for when music was just about that, just about creating music. And I think that's where Lana found herself as well throughout this album, trying to escape the music industry. We didn't touch on it much in talking about this album, and I'm glad we are just focusing on the music. But she also was a number of kind of, I'll say, sort of nitpicky controversies that Lana Del Rey found herself in. And I think with the point that she's at in her career... Her back catalog and is getting a little bit of flack from the media based on some of the things that she has said, whether rightly so or not, just made her feel like she wanted to escape not only literally the music industry, but also just getting back to that feeling of nostalgia for when she was creating for the beauty of it, which is what Joni was touching on. And this was a true experience for Joni. This is actually something that happened to her that she remembered and wrote this song about. And so I'm glad Lana steals it to bookend this album. I think it really ties everything together. And Lana, Zella, and Ways do a really good job emphasizing the words that really depict the the message of the song here. I didn't go back and listen to Joni's version of it. I probably should have. And, oh, you and should, probably yeah. Will. But yeah, you'll like it. I think they do a great job. And maybe, maybe Joni sang it the same way, but... In the verse that you were talking about, he's been playing real good for free. The way they highlight that word free and and really build with the powerful voice and increase the volume as they're they're hanging out on that word. And then later, nobody stopped to hear him, though he played so sweet and high. Again on high, they they really spend some time on that word. They knew he had never been on the TV, so they passed his music by. And then again, they they spent a lot of time on that word. So they're really making you think about that as they're also moving you with the music, with the vocal quality. They knew he had never been on the TV So they passed his music by That amplifies the message that there's this guy on the street playing his music for free and nobody's really listening too closely because he's not famous, but yet he's still pouring his heart into it and he's he's playing his ass off because he's doing it for the music for the love and the passion of it and contrasting that with those who got into music probably for those reasons but then have evolved into this lifestyle that's expensive and this role of doing things for other people a certain way and how the music industry can trap you into this necessity to 
put out songs a certain way that are going to make you money to support your lifestyle and continue to be a part of that culture. It is, in a way, contradictory to what maybe got people passionate about making a life out of music and into it in the first place, like the guy who's content with being on the street playing music and getting a few bucks in his bucket or guitar case. Maybe he longs for the day that he could potentially or she could be famous and be in a situation like Joni, but then here Joni is in that spot and she's kind of envious of that guy or longing for for the day when music was just that, music and not yeah. fame and fortune and money and everything that comes with it. Lana likely found herself in that same headspace. And exactly. The rest of the album dictates that with you know that feeling of wanting to escape, and then this is just a really nice bookend of where her mind might be trying to find that spark, the thing that she loved about it in the first place. He was playing real good for free. It's a perfect way to end this album. It's almost like Joni wrote this to be a part of this album because it it ties into the overall theme that we've talked about through a lot of these songs. And I think it wraps things up. It concludes on, on a high note, even though you can potentially view that contrast of fame and fortune versus doing it simply for the music as maybe a, a bad thing that's that's wrapped up in the, the darkness of the music industry and evolving into somebody that maybe you didn't totally set out to become. I think at the core of this song, it's almost empowering to have that realization that you are doing this for the music first, like that guy is on that street corner. And maybe it, it helps you get in touch with that part, which allows you to deal with all the other stuff, you know, to play the game because, you know, hey, I'm still here for me and there's a lot of goodness to what I'm doing. I think you're exactly right. I think that the fact that Joni as she wrote this song and Lana when she selected it are recognizing the beauty in that artist playing the clarinet for free that there's still that same joy that started the creation for both of them in the first place if Joni had walked past that clarinet player into the limousine without noticing him you could argue that the darkness of the game had erased whatever joy had started her love of music creation but I think recognition of and and taking the time to think about and write a song about this shows that that spirit is still alive within Joni and then again the selection by Lana that it still exists within her too despite all these things that maybe she's been through and wanting to escape the music industry you know again some of the controversy and criticisms that have been following her over the past year or so ending this album on the music the beauty of creating music of experiencing music I think is a way to stamp this at the end of saying i'm still recognizing why i do this i'm gonna keep going and there's another album on its way right yeah so it'll be interesting to see if if she keeps some of these same themes or if in kind of processing some of these things if she moves on to something else if this song and this album ties a bow on that feeling of wanting to escape if now she's going to be kind of back into more accepting of it and moving forward i'll be curious to hear i know i'm i'm planning on checking it out I think I enjoyed this album enough that Lana is on my radar now and somebody that I want to follow and track as I go forward. You can't have hundreds of artists that you follow because it's hard to keep up, but she's one I think I'll be really intrigued to see whatever music she puts out going forward. Me too, and I was thinking earlier when we were talking about 
how maybe some of the longtime fans of Lana are hearing this album and trying to kind of assimilate this new version of her into what they've decided is their vision of who she is. Since this is my entry point, as I go back and listen to some of her other albums, I wonder if I'll have the reverse issue where Mm -hmm. this is kind of my cemented vision of Lana and then trying to add back into some of her back catalog if it might take me a little while to go the other way or if yeah. some of those older albums are catchy enough that I'll instantly be taken by them. So it'll be interesting to see. My gut feeling in knowing this album and, and comparing and contrasting it with the songs of hers that I know from the past, granted they're taken out of context, if you will, because I don't know the full album. I would say that this album feels more mature, more evolved in a musical sense and maybe some deeper serious messages. But I will say that the vocal quality, the sound piggybacks off of everything that she's done and and it's still Lana. It's just maybe less tailored to the mainstream pop culture. There's nothing really in this album that's very catchy or one-dimensional or too cliche. It feels more like an album that was constructed start to finish with the goal of putting together a full body of work that's supposed to be digested start to finish and not an album with a couple songs that were developed to be singles and then other tracks to go around that. But there's just something more elegant about this album as a whole than some of the tracks I've listened to in the past. Yeah, you said elegant, and then I was going to say intimate. There, There's a mm-hmm. quality that sure. you feel very close, you know, not only in the personal aspects of the words, but even just the mic's hot, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're close to her, you hear breath sounds, it, it definitely, I mean, you're hearing stuff drop on the floor that you're not sure what it yeah, is, and it really yeah. feels like you're kind of there. Yeah, some songs have a real spatial effect to them as yeah. well, that's something we yeah, haven't really talked about. Yeah, you mentioned that with kind of the echoing of that yeah. object or whatever you've, it was. You've talked in the past about certain albums being good with headphones, others needing needing space, I think we talked about that with the Assertion album that we did I wonder if this is one that in a large room to give it space, but with, with good acoustics kind of stripped down on a, a record player, you know, maybe it would, it would kind of have a, a larger room effect or feel to it. Or like if she were to perform this album start to finish in a theater with really good acoustics, that that would maybe be the right setting uh, for this. Yeah, it could be. But then again, I have to go back to my perfect place to listen to this. And I'm still on that train in 1950 moving from a big city to a small one and so i've got i've got headphones or like a you know small little record player or something going on in the background of that little train car that's that's where i'm at with this one well good pick shane i'm glad that we dissected this one again i'm gonna have to go back and listen to more of her albums from the past and looking forward to potentially even this year or depending on how fast i can get my editing done maybe another one before we know it here so yeah, definitely. Great introduction to Lana. I had a lot of fun doing this album. I don't know how many times I listened to it before I started doing some research, looking at her backstory and dissecting it for the sake of the podcast. That helped me get to know it and understand it and appreciate it even more. But the listening experience alone was very rewarding and I had a lot of fun with the album. I think it's maybe a genre or space that we haven't explored yet on the podcast. It's borderline pop just seemed like a different uh, way to go and somebody as we both have alluded to is somebody we probably should know more than than we did but I wasn't totally sure on the pick and how it would pan out and it succeeded my expectations it's been a great experience uh, digesting 
this album and looking into the themes and having some side stories and conversations about it. So it's been good. It was fun. Yeah, good pick. Well, it's my pick next. We'll be going back to my college years for the next one. But until next time, go listen to a great album. And do yourself a favor and buy a jean jacket. (laughs) (laughs) Screw you, man. (laughs) If you're enjoying listening to Album Divers, you can support our podcast by subscribing, reviewing, and sharing it with someone else that appreciates great music. Follow and connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Album Divers. We'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback about our take on an album that you already loved or had never heard before. Do you have an album you want us to dive into? Email us at albumdiverspodcast at gmail.com and we'll consider adding it to our queue for a future episode. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you never stop discovering music that moves you to dive deeper. Until next time.